Scotch, the podcast in which two nerds and others, because we have another today, we talk about books, but not about Scotch. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal. This is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. Nick is also a nerd. Yeah, I was going to talk about him in just a second. Okay. Hi, I'm <laughs> Ethan Bartlett. Yeah, yeah. And we also have, thanks for spoiling it, Ethan, another guest. <laughs> well, you spoiled it first. No, I didn't. He is also a nerd. He's my brother, Nick. Hello. <laughs> so, yes. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for that. You're great. Yeah. So yeah, there are three of us in this room, and there's also scotch in this room. Yeah, there's scotch in this room. Uh, I'm I'm shocked. I'm not surprised. <laughs> shocked to learn that right. there's gambling going on at this establishment. <laughs> <laughs> Here's our scotch. Don't even kid. Oh, there, was, there was a gentle listener. The podcast is over. <laughs> Michael broke the scotch. The scotch is Polly's Casks Double Barrel Aged Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, matured in oak and ale casks, distilled, matured, and bottled in Scotland, Alexander Murray and Company Limited, Aberdeen, Scotland. That's a really long title. Yep. Even for scotch. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, I want to point out why I bought this scotch. I, I don't want to give too much away because we will rate the scotch later too, but uh, I read some of them on the back, um, and I'm just going to read... The beginning here, it says, On a balmy California evening, Alexander Murray founder Steve Lipp was enjoying a typically noisy dinner with David Walker and his wife, Polly Firestone Walker, of the Central Coast Brewery, when the conversation inevitably turned to rare whiskeys and craft beer. Lipp's father's name was Front Tooth. <laughs> <laughs> like whiskey distillers in Scotland, the Firestone Walker Brewing Company ages their proprietors' vintage beers in oak bourbon barrels. So the question was posed, what would happen if Old World met new and the cycle was extended? What would happen if fine single malt scotch whiskey was finished in the same bourbon barrels that had been used to age those beautiful Californian bar- barley wines, stouts, and Im- special imperial bitters? Have you had any of the scotch before? Nope. Yeah. Nope. I haven't. Okay. This will be a fun one. So, yes. Delightful. Um, so, yeah, as you can tell from what it, I just read about, it's basically an American scotch. Sure. Kind of, but also made in of. Scotland. Yeah. Because right. it has to be in order to be Scotch. Mm-hmm. So, I was going to say, be careful how you throw those terms around. <laughs> yep. Have both Americans and Scots. Has anyone ever actually this. asked, what would happen if, and then gone through and, through and done it? <laughs> <laughs> so here's the, the bottle, you can see. It's got kind of a doily pattern on it. There's the opener. Remember, he dropped it earlier, so I'm not sure we have him holding it. But... Yeah, that's true. I think I should be holding it. No, it's mine. You can't have any. 
Well, that's <laughs> also not how the podcast works. Seems to be defeating the purpose. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. Would you grab the glasses on that lovely little tray over this there? This one is yours. This one is mine. Because you drank out of it. I did. I saw you. But I didn't drink scotch out of it. Um, so, before we salute the scotch, we have to determine what the rules are. So, Ethan, would you get your wife in here? Hey, Karen! Karen, what are the rules? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. Thank you, Karen. You can leave now. Uh, Now, we have a guest on the podcast, and the guest always has the prerogative to establish a rule for the episodes on which the guest is guesting. So, would you like Nicholas to give us a rule? Sure. Uh, every time someone says the, the word or the name Footman, everyone else needs to gasp in fear. If they do not, they lose. Huh. Okay. Yeah, All right. That's All right. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. indeed. All right. This, is, uh, this will be fun. <laughs> All right. So we salute. Once our glasses clink, the rules take effect until we get to the end of uh, the episode. So, l'chaim. Slavja. Celebrate the fact that we have a new Patreon subscriber. Uh, this is, now proves me thoroughly wrong because I was convinced that no one would subscribe to our Patreon, and then I was convinced that no one we didn't know would subscribe to our <laughs> Patreon. Uh, but our new subscriber, Alexis, has quite thoroughly proven me wrong, and I can't say I'm sorry about it. Right. Um, so thank you, Alexis. Thank you, Alexis. Uh, you're our new favorite person. We're over Nat. Yep. Um, that's Nat is so yesterday. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, don't feel bad for Nat. He made a mean meme about us. So he did. Um, <laughs> well, that you didn't deserve it. But... 
Wow. It's a hostage, hostile yeah. situation already. <laughs> Soon to be a hostage situation. <laughs> I sense. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Alexis. She uh, sent us just a quick note through our form on the, on the, website. On the website, the Scotch Talk form. Um, mostly to say thank you for making the podcast. You're welcome. Yes. Uh, she said the, the podcast for her hit a sweet spot between not being too amateur, which feels like praise we don't deserve, <laughs> but also not being too sort of pedantic. Also, I want to note uh, specifically that Kate, or, uh, Alexis recommends Caitlin Kiernan, um, mm-hmm. who she says is a super underappreciated author. Agents of Dreamland is recommended. The Red Tree and Drowning Girl, uh, she says, are... Like if Gene Wolfe narrators inhabited a like Lovecraftian atmosphere, right? Which is a fascinating little bit there that I'm yeah, gonna have like to I, look into those. So I feel like I've heard of a couple of those. But... Oh, yeah, okay. I've, 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 I, I may even own a volume or two of Caitlin Kiernan at home. I have not mm. read her, but maybe she might have to show up on a oh. short story special maybe, later on. Maybe, maybe, yeah, um, yeah, but. Yeah, thank you, Alexis. Yeah, thank uh, you very much. Oh, and I did send you an email with your Patreon rewards. I haven't heard back from you. So if you're listening to this, uh, hit us get back. In, yeah, get in touch. We'd love to uh, send you some some stuff. Yes. Um, I might have a different email address for you that I'm going to try, which I may have done by the time you do hear this. So maybe it's irrelevant <laughs> so now. So disregard this if that happened. If not, regard this. Yeah. Um, but either way, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. More than words can say. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, with that said, we're going we to. We shall not say any, not more, say words any more words about that. Probably we will, but eventually. Yeah. Not right now. But right now, we are going to spend our words talking about this thing that is full of words, also known as a book. Uh, the book, The Seven and a Half Deaths <laughs> of Evelyn Hardcastle, a novel by Stuart Turton. Mm-hmm. So, so, you're really just into like reading everything on a label now. See, uh, I got into the Don't let him of, see the dust cover. Not, <laughs> of, uh, uh, of not letting any clues lie because you need all of them in order to solve the case <laughs> oh, of oh, your yeah. murder. My yours. Okay, I did want to mention, um, we should mention this also before we get too far yeah. into this episode, that this is in the spirit of more sort of interactive media like Black Mirrors, yes. Bandersnatch, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, which I haven't seen. Uh, that this is a very special interactive episode of Michael and Ethan in a Room of Scotch. Not only because we have Nicholas as a guest, but because, gentle listener, you will listen to this entire episode, and then you will go back, uh-huh. re-download the episode, and listen to the e- entire episode again. And, and it will watch for inconsistencies. Not only that, but it, <laughs> it will sound the same. It will sound exactly the same, except you will now know that in your second listen-through... I am inhabiting Nick's body. Mm-hmm. Nick is inhabiting Michael's body, and Michael is inhabiting my body. The problem is I didn't sign up for this, but I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's how these things go. That might be Michael and Ethan's new official motto. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many of those. <laughs> we um, just collect them. Yeah. So, Nick, you recommended this book initially yes. to me, and I thought that would be a good one to bring to our show. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it's partially because it's technically the most recent book that we've read. Is it really? Yep. Published last year in 2018. Okay. Um, yes. So it's, yeah, brand spanking new. I 
legitimately believe that I got this book on the day of its publishing. That's uh, Not because I knew anything about it, but because I work at a Barnes & Noble. Yep. <laughs> um, so I was like, I need a book. There was this book here, and I was like, this sounds interesting. I'm looking for a mystery. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading it and didn't stop. So, you yeah. know. Well, and legitimately, you can look at this and judge the book by its cover. Yeah. And... Um be taken in by it. It yeah. is lovely. It is it is it is gorgeous. Well not only is it lovely, but the cover art and the design, as well as the story within the the title of the nope. book mm-hmm. uh really tell you that's, almost everything you need to know. That's yeah. That's something I wanted to say, just the title of the book initially. I want to start there. And legitimately judge by its cover. Now in uh the UK where it was initially published, it was published as The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Oh, um but in America it's published as the Seven and a Half Deaths. So, gentle listener, if you're looking for this book, they're the same book, just published under different mm-hmm. names. It's kind of a Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone situation. I'd say, I'd say seven and a half is more fitting, but I would I say I could see also, the functional yes. I could, yeah. I could see the functionality of both. Right. I, I think Ultimately, they both have the same effect, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. someone is dying multiple times. Um, but seven and a half gives you the hint that, like, something, they're, like, I, something I think it gives you a change. Yeah, something change else is happening. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, the, the other thing that it does is it gives you a great sort of uh, dramatic irony advantage in starting right. to read it. Oh, yeah. Because you come in, well, first of all, when you, when you meet your narrator, I forget everything between footsteps. All right, so we're... Kind of starting on the same page, except we know that someone is going to die repeatedly. Right. <laughs> and like, yeah. I'm guessing everyone who's listening to this has read the book. Hopefully, oh wait, wait, hold on, wait, 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 stop. Crap. Don't do this to them. Stop. Nick, hang on. All right. You, know, gentle listener, if you've listened before, you know what we're about to say. So, so pause go. your podcast. Go read the book. Then come back. You probably want to hit stop. And so so this this, this, this was actually something to someone who hasn't read the book yet. Don't read the dust cover first. Open it and read it. Yeah, no, yeah, they're good. As I was going to say in a minute here, also don't read any of the little author or blurbs mm-hmm. from other mm-hmm. authors. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, yeah, just dive right in. Also, probably hit stop it, on your cassette player. Like, so no, that not a cassette player. It, it, won't, it won't ruin the experience to read them, but the experience will be deepened if you don't. Yep. All right, so read it. Now you have read it, now you know. That um, is what I was going to bring up, because when I grabbed this book, I read the opening, uh, the dust cover area, which uh, it tells you the your narrator's name. It tells mm-hmm. you every um, that it's a repeated cycle, and it tells you that, what, that he's going to wake up in different hosts. Yeah, yeah. and I, I did not read the dust jacket or any of the quotes, and I'm very well, glad I didn't. I would like to say mm-hmm. I have a policy of never reading the dust jacket because it always gives stuff yeah. away. Yeah, and the thing is, it did Especially with a mystery. And, and I will yeah. say, it did not ruin it for me, and the reveal was still very well done, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I was looking for it as I read Bell's, Bell, the first host, as I read his story. I was looking for what was going to come next, and so I had that slight, a little stronger of a dramatic irony advantage of who's coming next and what yeah. they're doing. See, I didn't have that, again, because my not reading the dust jacket mm-hmm. uh, policy saved me. However, I've usually found that it's fairly safe to read the, like, immediate first, like, praise for this book, pages yep. that a book um But the has. first one... Oh, yeah, no. I, I, I skipped over... I, I usually sort of read them in the middle, sure. and I skipped mm-hmm. to... 
um, Kirsty Logan putting you on blast. Not sure who you are. You're probably a lovely person. Author of the Gracekeepers. Yeah. Still don't. I, I don't know that I book. Don't, oh, there You're probably a lovely person, and I'm probably going to meet oh. you in person and regret this yeah. one day. But um, Kirsty Logan just said, it's an Agatha Christie Manor House mystery, uh, which is fine. Like, that's yep. probably the least revealing bit of blurb you could do until she says, with a black mirror twist. And I was like, okay, it's a simulation. Or uh, something yeah. similar. And I, I instantly went there and um, I don't... We've talked on this podcast before about how spoilers don't always actually spoil a book. Like, sometimes mm, right. it's good to know that everyone at the end of Hamlet dies. <laughs> um, right. But... Uh, in this case, it would have been a very different experience to not have known anything that was going on. Though, uh, I... Excuse me, gentle listener, I'm in a wrestling match over two cups, which seems ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I know, I to say. You're talking about oh, spoilers. I was, I was, I may also already have been there with the whole seven and a half deaths, deaths yeah. thing in the title, like something I instantly do mm-hmm. when I hear a title like that. I've read right, yeah. science fiction to know where this is yeah. going. The, the question I, I had with it, with the cover and everything, was: Is this science fiction? Is this magical realism, or is this fantasy? Yeah, right. and with like reading the uh, the one that you read. T- immediately shunts you into science fiction. Yep. Right. Um, I was considering reading, from reading the blurb, I was considering fantasy. Yeah. And so I, I like that, that you, that it wasn't quite feeling on what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing, I guess, jumping ahead a bit with the uh, simulation thing, I guess. That's fine. Yeah. Jump a little bit it. at the ending. What I appreciate in the book is that it gives an explanation for what's going on without giving an explanation for what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not so technical that it sounds ridiculous, but it also adequately explains what it's doing. Well, it's how. not really technical. No, no, it's, it's not. not. It, that, that, was, that was kind of a question I had, is, is what did you think of that resolution? What the answer is? Which ultimately is that there's a, a futuristic society when we've been kind of inhabiting something in the past, this entire book, and then, but it turns out to be like a simulation or something oh. from a future society. And, like, I, I think that's ultimately where I have the most questions, and I don't mm-hmm. know if that's yeah. a problem but, necessarily. Yeah, because I agree. Because the way it's it's termed, you're inhabiting these personalities. So if it's just a plain simulation, it is an extremely sophisticated simulation. It's amazing to the point mm-hmm. where you have actual personalities that can inhabit your own personality. Yeah, where you change lose you. yourself yep. in a simulation mm-hmm. in a way and, that we don't have any technology and ostensibly that can simulate. This that. is actually yeah. historically true. Ostensibly, yes, everything that is happening is historically true. And so these people, like okay, the plague doctor, mm-hmm. what's his name, Oliver, turns out to be. Um, I think Oliver's correct, yeah. He doesn't know who killed Evelyn Hardcastle, yet this simulation exists in which there is an answer. Mm -hmm. How how is it possible to make a perfect historical simulation without knowing the answer is part of my question. Or is there some sort of time travel aspect involved, in which case it is absolutely insane to send criminally insane convicts into the past to change the past. Oh yeah, I mean, um, that, that actually probably was the thing I had the most questions about, not so much even the, the, the sort of, you're in, a, in an immersive simulation aspect sure, of it, Oliver. because that's, that's been done enough in at least sort of a hand-wavy way by um, 
other pieces of fiction that that concept didn't bother me but yeah the exact question you mm -hmm. just asked how how was was there an answer and yet you had to send someone into it mm -hmm. to um the only two ideas that i can extrapolate um you'd either have to have some sort of person and this seems most likely you'd have to have some sort of personality um matrix extrapolator yeah. yeah where you where you could preserve the brains of the of the dead or recreate yeah. them somehow. So the other issues you have so are memories, but you would yeah, mm -hmm. but you would know it down to granular, mm -hmm. almost godlike levels what people would do in a given circumstance, and therefore what would drive them to do right. certain things. Yeah. Or you would have to have some sort of technology that could go back into the past, shunt you into the past, yeah, yeah, or at least capture. I'm thinking of um, the movie mm -hmm. Deja Vu uh, from okay. several years ago, where you had this technology that could show you the past in real time, mm -hmm. but you couldn't physically get there. Mm -hmm. But if you had a technology like that that could then bring the past forward into a simulation, it, you could have captured a lot of information but, using the tech right. that you personally would not have known and, and would have to go into it and explore to get to. The other thing, this is pure postulation, but the other thing with the super advanced society, maybe the technology has advanced to the point where the people running it don't understand how it works. Oh, so the technology yeah. is able to capture every single thing, but they can't they they can't interface with it themselves without being a part and of it. Or it generates detail. so much information yeah. that you know it's you just, just like push a, through it. Yeah, you know? yeah. If you t if you took the Encyclopedia Britannica and fed it into a computer, yeah. you would have all of that information in front of you, but you, you wouldn't would necessarily know it all. Yeah, you would have, you would have to have get to through read it. it. Yep, yeah, you would have to sift through that information to find it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to point out another little mm -hmm. detail with all of this technological and technical sort of questions we have, which I don't want to spend all of our time talking <laughs> about, <laughs> but. The, the detail of the other plague doctor that we meet later, Silver Tear, yes. who, or Jacqueline, I think is, yeah. is her name. Yeah. Um, she herself gets wounded in the situation, in the simulation. She's not inhabiting some other host. She is her in this thing, and right. she gets injured and trapped in the loop. Yep. Right. He jumps her onto the loop, yep. So that, you know, makes it sound like it's a little more real than just a yeah, simulation. Yeah, it makes you wonder, is it like, is it just the whole, like, if you die in the dream, you die Josephine, is her name. Josephine. I know it started with a J. Like, do you die in the dream and you die in real life, mm -hmm. or is there yeah. more? Is there more? He, he did literally say that it's the only way to save her life. Yeah. So there must right. be some physicality there. Maybe it's just brain death, but... Right. Could be. Yeah. But... Um, though the other thing, like, the very end of the novel um, makes it almost sound like... Uh, Aiden and just the Anna, Anna, almost like they literally walk out of um, yeah of Blackheath, implying that they're you could probably interpret the sentence mm -hmm. uh, several different ways, but one way it struck me was that it could imply that they were physically at Blackheath, mm. which which makes you question you know if you're physically at a place, can we somehow do we have the mm -hmm. technology to reach back into the past of that place and bring it mm. forward it... <clears throat> somehow mm. in like a projected Cause way? Because it's place locked, like, like yeah. location sure, locked. Sure, 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 sure. Okay, that'd be interesting. I, I think that was more of a symbolic thing, though, yeah. because um, every every attempt of his escape was leaving Blackheath itself right. physically. And so this this last one was couldn't. also him, him physically leaving yeah. the area. Right, but you could still say that, like... He couldn't leave before because of the interface between the technology and mm -hmm. the physicality and the technology had gone away. There was something almost, again, um, I should have underlined it because I'm not finding it quickly, of course, but there was something about 
these being projections or like shadows, which almost yes. made me wonder yeah. if there yeah. was um, some kind I know of projection exactly what you mean. mechanism um, going on. Which what you could then have is it could still be sort of a an immersive simulation. Four twenty seven. Not yeah. not the type yeah. where Aiden is the Sebastian Bell who woke up this morning, says the plague doctor kindly. They were never anything more than a trick of the light and a shadows yeah. on the wall. Which, Which that right there is telling me that we've got something about Plato's cave happening here. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, I feel like we need to open that can of worms later. Sure. Yeah. Just stuff them back in. Stuff them back in. You got a hint. You got a hint. You only saw a shadow on the wall of what we were going to talk about. A shadow of a shadow of a shadow of a shadow. I got caught in the loop. Sorry. Um... So what it, what it makes me wonder, it, it gave me the image, and again, this is pure speculation, but it gave me the image of, like, you're physically at this location, yeah. somehow the past is being projected onto it, but the medium is not what we think of in, like, every other mm-hmm. immersive 3D simulation where you're, like, like in a room or in a mask. Mm-hmm. You're or... physically at a place, you're just, like, and... there are projectors that somehow can project forms on kind of the um uh, um guardians of the galaxy opening when he goes to find the power stone yes in the in the beginning and he like projects stuff and like you yeah. see this is like the city and there you, are you, people there's a girl with a dog mm, and stuff yeah, in these, projects in these projections the yeah okay. yeah yeah i i say like that that's also necessary to give Ada and anna any chance of escape yeah. Right. If if they're in a in a lockdown room, either that or well, I mean, this has been going on for thirty years. Yeah, is what we find out. At least for three decades that this has been occurring, right. and no one has dealt with what the plague doctor has been increasingly doing. Silver Tear came in and found out about this, but their overseers obviously have not. Mm-hmm. So obviously, there's a lot of oversight. He also said that they'd find Silver Tear eventually. Mm-hmm. And that she was locked in the in the loop. So obviously, there's not a lot of oversight. This one, man. Sorry. Um, that that they're pretty much autonomous in their own simulations. Right. So it's quite possible that they do wake up in a room and he opens the doors. Sure, sure. sure. Yeah, it gives you... Th- that was another actually interesting sort of aspect of the outside world that's implied and never yeah. really defined, is it gives Which, you this image of, like, a bureaucracy that maybe had its heyday 30 years ago or 50 years ago yeah. that's sort of crumbling in, to the point that... You can get lost did, in it or not. Did either of you read the uh, the um, conversation with the author? Yes. On the back? Okay, because like he gives hints about what the society is in one of the middle questions on page four thirty four uh, about the the society that's around all this. It's autocratic, technologically advanced, but they still haven't overcome our human weaknesses. You can get everywhere in an hour, but television's still overrun with reality shows, basically. Imagine the society that could create something as hateful as Annabelle Cocker. Um, But uh, he, I want to say this too, I I found out, I follow him on Twitter and and he said that just recently he sent his second book off to the publishers. Um, And I'm hoping it's not a sequel. Right. I don't think it would be, but yeah, I, I'm because not. like if it's a sequel, I could see it being the sort of things where it's a Hunger Games sequel, but bad. Right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like or okay, they get no, sent back or something else. Yeah. Or, or or we find out something that's going on in one of the other prisons with the village with the Evelyn Hardcastle's a quarter quell. But yeah, no, don't do that. No, because <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Um, but anyway, so the people who have won the. Most it felt complicated like a, it, it, situation. It, it felt like a book that it felt like a book that ended its story. Yes, I don't this, think it needs this to is self-contained. It doesn't need to continue. I, I would love to see the world, but I don't sure. need a continuation of the story. No, unless you took a giant house, 
but everyone who had solved the most complicated scenarios did it. And filled it with weapons. And just, the last just, one to be alive. Just because TV is still run with, is still overrun with reality shows in this universe doesn't mean <laughs> we have to recreate Big Brother. Maybe or maybe it is the Hunger, is the Hunger Games, Games universe. Shut up! You shut up! <laughs> me. You I, I said, no, because no, here's what it is. I have the answer. Hunger Games takes place in the former North America. This takes place in the former Europe. That's true. That's true. Because it's a much more like same same time, same world. You can get everywhere in an hour. Yeah, but why would they want to go to yeah, the, the war torn exactly. nuclear wasteland of North America? Everywhere in an it, hour. <laughs> it makes perfect sense because you know in America they would have the like sort of barbaric like everyone yep. tears each other apart, and in Europe they would have this much more Kafka esque yeah, like it's more cerebral, subtle cerebral, yep. <laughs> but still secretly vicious kind of a. Oh, I want to talk about the map. Okay. Uh, I was actually, when you said we were starting with the cover, I thought about saying um, that we're going to the map. Then we're going to the map after that. We're, we're focusing on a different day here now, so we're at the map. <laughs> we're at the map. Um, so it, it's a map Putting of the, the estate of Blackheath. This this book does the classic murder mystery sort of thing where you get the the map, the layout of mm-hmm. the thing, and you get. The Dramatis Personae, yes. which is a, a really clever way to do that, have it all on an invitation ooh, sort ooh, of thing. It's ooh. really cool. I thought, of, I thought of what the sequel should actually be. Oh, no. Uh, it should be this again, um, like the same setup, not the same character. Okay. Except the character getting punished is trying to solve the disappearance of Agatha Christie. Okay. Because she did historically yeah. disappear well, for like this, a week or ten right. days. This baseline setup would be very interesting to put in different locations. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Though now we've just written like the science fiction and version of the Emma's for Murder series, I say, and, and I have an interesting like storyline for like or an interesting question in, involved with that idea. But we let's talk okay. about the map. The map, uh, interesting things. It's got the estate of Blackheath, and it's got some some fun little details here. You can yes. see the groundskeeper went uh, a little insane with paths. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're fun. Um, but, uh, so there's this little, uh, epigram on there, the Tufui Ego Eris. We talked about that off earlier. Off about, earlier? Off earlier. Uh, about what that means, and it's, uh, as you are, I was, and as I am, you will be. It's... I would like it noted that when I went to start reading this book for this show, uh, I meant to just sort of dive in, and instead I spent 45 minutes on Latin uh, <laughs> dictionaries online, trying desperately to remember the language I had last studied. It's, 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 yeah, I would say it's literally four words, all of which are uh, permutations of the Latin word to be. Well, no, to and ego are pronouns, True. but then fui and eris are. Yeah, yeah. so that makes it worse. Which, me. which, gentle listener, if you also go look up on Latin Dictionary dot net, which is a real <laughs> site that I didn't just make up. And if you type in Fui, you will find 38 possible translations yep. for it. It's great. Yes. Um, other details I want to point out, uh, the it, where it gives the, the label, it's an Ouroboros. Mm-hmm. Snake yep. eating his tail. So it's like, okay, we've got a cycle here, a loop. And did you see Did you see who, who created so the map? I did, and then I forgot. Uh, the Estate of Blackheath, as drawn by... Daedalus brother. Oh my god. Daedalus brothers. Yes. Yep. Daedalus. 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 Uh, how, how do I know that name Daedalus? The the screen is suddenly getting wavy and, and mm. the camera's zooming in on your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Daedalus, the uh, character in Greek mythology who created what? The labyrinth. The labyrinth. Yep. Yeah. Which is so different from a maze in that the labyrinth is self-reflexive, just like the Ouroboros. Just like the Ouroboros. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's, that's, yep. 
very deliberately done. Uh, clever. And, you know, that name Daedalus never comes up in the entire book. Nope. I was kind of waiting no, for it to, so but I'm work. really glad it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he definitely he did his homework in just creating all of the pieces. Yep, yep, yep. Alright, that's what I wanted to talk about on the map. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about on the map? No. Okay. I'm not really. Uh, the, so the thing I had with, in regards to, like, you know, recreating this and going over it over again in, like, different areas, what was the original day in Blackheath like? Because by the time we've seen it, 30 years have passed, and it's built up this sediment mm-hmm. of just ideas and things that they do. Well, and, that's, and ways that the characters... And, and yeah, ways that the characters, the cells interact, like, Sebastian Bell is an amnesiac, mm-hmm. and that right. reflects what everyone else is doing, which means no one can get access to laudanum after this point, mm-hmm. right, who did beforehand, and that, uh, actually, that, that allows a whole bunch of other things to set up. Ravencourt's running about, instead of doing whatever Ravencourt would be doing. Um, mm-hmm. Like, there's there's well, so many different things of, like, yeah. what would actually... What would the day have looked like beforehand? Before and, these people the, who came in to observe well, changed well, what they were observing. Right. What is... I mean, that sounds like something. What is that? When when the observer of a thing uh, changes the thing? Let me check itself. my science uh, books. What's, what's it's, that called? Um, something something quantum physics. Oh, is that it? Is that yeah. it? Uh, something we've referred to on this podcast multiple times. And, and, yeah. Wait, you're acting cat. like you're not allowed to say it, but I haven't gotten that rule. No, you haven't gotten that rule published. It's Schrodinger's cat. Uh, yeah, it comes up and it even is mentioned here. They they have a few philosophical debates oh, yeah. amongst characters in here, and one of them is that um, Blackheath made these characters the way they are, mm-hmm. and then the response right the from end. our narrator is, "No, we made Blackheath this way. Yeah. It's of our own making." So the question ultimately is, like, okay, would ah, I actually found it? Go ahead. Would Evelyn Hardcastle have been actually murdered? If they hadn't had these observations, mm-hmm. probably not. Would um, Felicity Maddox have been murdered the way she was? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but Would Millicent Derby have died? Millicent Derby, yeah, right. Like all these different Almost things certainly that not. happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically speaking, like in the actual history, I don't know if they happened quite that way. Yeah, uh, because and they adjusted. The, I mean, they, just, it's implied that historically Evelyn did die. Right, well, because... but Evelyn died. Right, and they right. didn't know that it yeah. wasn't Evelyn. Right, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, yeah. So what Michael was talking about with the philosophical debates on page 372, mm. um, I'm going to back up a little bit just to give um, yeah. some reference what's going on. So um, between Daniel Coleridge, Daniel Coleridge, who's mm-hmm. the third guest, quote-unquote, right. um, since they all have hosts, the third guest of Blackheath um, and... Uh, our main character, Aiden, in the body of Davies. George, George Davies? Whatever his name was. Dan, uh, no. I think it's George Davies, but I might be wrong. Uh, he's num- he's host number three. Yeah. Um, Donald. Donald. Yep. Yeah. Donald Davies. Donald Davies. Okay. Um, and so they've just had a back and forth. So this is uh, Coleridge talking. I have a wife and son, he says. That's the memory I brought with me. Can you imagine how that feels, knowing they're out there waiting for me? Or they were. I take a step toward him, the rock by my side. How will you face them, knowing what you did to escape this place, I ask. I'm only what Blackheath has made me, he pants, spitting flatten into the mud. No, Blackheath's what we made it, I say, advancing a little more. He's still buckled, still tired. A couple more steps and this will all be over. Our decisions led us here, Daniel. If this is hell, then it's one of our own making. Mm-hmm. And what would you have us do, he says, looking at me. Sit here and repent until somebody sees fit to open the doors? 
and then uh, responds, yeah, help me save Evelyn so that we can take what we know of the Plague Doctor together. All of us, you, me, and Anna, we have a chance to walk out of this place better men than we arrived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's kind of a back and forth of Blackheath is acknowledged as a terrible place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everything you see is. Except for one scene near the end of the book where it's just peaceful and nice yep. and calm. Right. And it's called out After everything that. is... is... Mm-hmm. After everything is just about done. Settled um, and things. Yeah, but like Blackheath itself is a terrible place, but these characters aren't making it better. Right. right. Except for possibly um, the Aiden and the body of Derby, because mm. Derby running around would be horrible. But <laughs> Well, there's, there's an interesting... There's several interesting philosophical concepts yeah. actually embedded in that little... Um, debate. Uh, for one thing, we we name checked Plato earlier, and we yep. definitely have Sartre here. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. If this is hell, then it's of, of our own making. Yep. Hell, hell is other people. That's uh, <clears throat> a much deeper reading of of that sentence mm-hmm. that sort of echoes over that discussion, even though it's not well, quoted directly. Um, it's a much deeper reading than mm-hmm. than most people give it. Well, it's, it's almost a reverse hell. Like it's it's almost hell is what we've done to other people. I mean, but that's that's sort of what yeah. you know that that's more or less what yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the climax that that line is yeah. sort of builds towards. Um, but uh, at the same time, I would argue that it's it's the completion of Aiden's character arc, mm-hmm. um, and that the reason that this story takes place because of course we know that this is. This is not the first loop by dozens right. and dozens. Um, this isn't the first seven and a half deaths. Right. <laughs> but the reason that the story drops in here, I would argue that, that the the territory Boils. that this novel covers is is what it is, is not because Aiden finally solves this mystery. It's because he finally gets to the revelation here, mm-hmm. um, which is also... Partly, another of the the concepts embedded there is this idea that, um, uh, what did we say the other guy's name was? Davies? Yeah. Uh, Col- Coleridge. Oh, Coleridge. Yeah, Thank you. Coleridge. He's Daniel Davies. or Coleridge, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the person controlling Coleridge, uh, is playing this like a game. Mm-hmm. Um. Right, the consequences really don't matter. Yeah. Well, and, oh, yeah, that's, that's, um, in day f- six. Yeah. Yep. And on the hunt, yeah. uh, our 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 uh, main character Aiden um, basically gets to this this point that's a very sort of uh, morally complicated, but also yeah. very morally morally mature mature point. Yes, where he says there's a chance that this isn't a game. There's mm-hmm. a chance that it does matter. So it mm-hmm. therefore matters. Whether and, we play it like a game or whether we treat these yeah. potentially real people and like more than that found it. too. More than that too is that it's um, it, it, even if it doesn't have consequences for the environment around us, it has consequences for our soul. Exactly is is his perception on yeah. this, and that's that that connects with this whole Plato's cave right. thing. Like if you're stuck in the cave, then you behave according to the morals and you treat the shadows with respect. And right. like, and until you're brought into the the knowledge of of what's beyond, and then you know, well, and going through all of that and escaping I, it. Which um, I've, I've been listening to the history of philosophy without oh, oh, any okay. gaps lately, <laughs> um, which is a wonderful podcast uh, done by uh, a guy who, I, at least at the start, I'm I'm still towards the start of it because we're still on Plato. <clears throat> of course, we're going to be on Plato for fifty episodes, I assume. <laughs> um, but at at least where I'm at, he's a 
the PhD candidate, I believe, mm-hmm. in philosophy at Oxford. And so he's talking about Plato's cave um, in a recent episode I listened to, and talking about something that was a PhD candidate. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Something happened, but no, go ahead. Um, he was talking about some of the common misconceptions of the cave, and one of those is the idea that the cave is somehow this allegory for um, what, confusingly, Plato also argued in a different place, the idea of, of physical realm versus a spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That when mm-hmm. you emerge from the cave, you're emerging from the physical into the spiritual. Yes. Um, and at least this, this uh, I wish I could remember his name, um, in the history of philosophy, he says, no, this is, within this analogy... They both are in the same world. Yes, mm-hmm. the people who have emerged and, from the cave can go back into the cave. And I want to I want to mention with that too that um, there's a way to read this book and to come out with the perception of it being very gnostic. Yeah, true. Um, with this whole idea, because I mean, knowledge especially, is brought up a whole heck of a lot, and knowledge being the way to escape, and especially this once you world, get into some into of the, the higher reality yep. yeah. of the. The oh, your spirit is in someone else's body. Right, that seems like it's a very a, yeah. right. So there's definitely a physicality to it, though. Right. Well, even, yeah. even that dualistic conception of spirit mm-hmm. versus body right. is very gnostic in a lot of ways. But even still, the Aiden even comes to a point where he's like, "Whatever my spirit is, isn't who I am. I am someone different now." Right. So, like, mm-hmm. this material world has changed him. This this material world being the the world of Blackheath. Right. So, like, that has changed him so that he is something different now. So it's not mm-hmm. actually Gnostic. I don't think this book is Gnostic, but you no. could come away with that sort of perception with the idea of knowledge being the escape and really a very trying parallel to get out of... Misconception. Yes, to the one an about exact Plato's parallel cave. misconception to Plato's cave, yes. Well, and he, he also brings up, like, in, in regards to that, he brings up the positive aspects of many of his hosts... Right. as yes. well from their uh-huh. physical uh-huh. bodies as this was important without these i would never escape right. it's, it's the thing like the the my hosts were the or my yeah my hosts were the chains keeping me here but they were also the keys letting me out yes right. yes um, he has that exact line that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic and, and like i think at the beginning with who aiden is at the very beginning well not the very beginning because he's stuck as uh sebastian bell and his, like his trying to figure out who he is but yeah. then like when he discovers oh i'm not sebastian bell i'm someone else and then he's trying to escape i think he starts out as a gnostic mm-hmm. uh, i i think aiden starts as gnostic in this in this book but then later comes to appreciate um the 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 intertwining of these things and recognizing that it's not just that what i do in the material world will affect my soul but that um uh, the, the, there, there is good to be done. <laughs> yeah, in and, all that, and that's the good that that I can do. And my doing it is in itself a good thing. Yes, it's not, it doesn't matter if the other person. Perfect. Right. We've, we've wound back to it. I was about to ask if we've gone too far afield for that quote that talking about um between uh, whether it's a game or not. Right. Oh, do, mm-hmm. do we want to hear that? Yeah, sure. sure. All right, it's uh, two seventy six to two seventy seven. So. Uh, and at this point, Aiden is in the body of Edward Dance, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the lawyer, which I, I want to talk about just how brilliant the different uh, narrator parts are, yeah. um, just just in terms of the little details. But um, he's in Dance, and he's talking to Daniel. At this point, he thinks Daniel is one of his future he's hosts, his future so he thinks, it's, he thinks he's speaking to himself in many yeah. ways. Um, so, what have you done, Daniel? I hiss. He'll be alive tomorrow, he says, waving his hand dismissively. I've knocked over a scarecrow. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be solving a murder, not committing one. Give a little boy a train, an electric train set, and he'll immediately try to derail it, he says. The act does not speak to his character, nor do we judge him for it. Mm-hmm. You think this is a game? I snap, pointing at Stanlin's body. A puzzle with disposable pieces. Solve it, and we get to go home. He frowns at me, as if I'm a stranger who's asked a di- directions to a place that doesn't exist. I don't understand your concern. 
If we solve Evelyn's murder in the manner you're suggesting, we don't deserve to go home. Can't you see? These masks we wear betray us. They reveal us. You're babbling, he says. Yeah, which, he has a couple of these conversations mm-hmm. yep. with, uh, yeah. with Daniel, and um, he always says the most profound things in them, followed yep. immediately by Daniel saying something utterly dismissive. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep, absolutely. Yep. And, so, yeah. and like uh, I, I want to point out, too, that this was actually my first place of suspecting that Daniel was not actually a future host. Yeah, I think, because I think the same. Twice right. on page 277 he says I don't understand something about you, right. Like and which a future host okay to an extent wouldn't understand but I, to say it twice is really saying nope you don't you're not actually him. Right. I, I started <laughs> counting up after Derby and at, at like yeah. at Derby I was suspecting but this this nailed it for me. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this moment where I was just like you're not you are not the character that we're seeing, and we've seen him through five different, no, mm-hmm. six different bodies yeah. at this point, and you are not him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I think the the summary sentence that I keep thinking about is just that Aiden comes to believe that someone who would commit a murder that might not be a real murder is someone who still would commit. He's still a murder. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and that that action. Even even in its potentiality, um, not to go back mm-hmm. to Gerald Bernane, um, <laughs> even in its potentiality, you actualizing it, whether it is mm-hmm. an actual, the effect that you actually think it is mm-hmm. on the real world is still something that you did. Just like if yeah. you give if you give money to a homeless person and they spend spend it on drugs, you still, you still gave, gave money, money yeah. to a homeless person yeah. Yeah. out of out of yeah. um, no obligation of your own and. Can I, I'm going off on a tangent, but can I use this to springboard in talking about the different narration types yeah. and how cool that is? Because dance, I'm, I'm going to start since we're there. Dance is the most uh, loquacious of all the of yeah. all of the hosts, and it shows because when he's speaking, he uses the largest vocabulary. When he's thinking to himself, he uses the largest vocabulary, and it's all very dry and straightforward. Except when dance is tired. Mm-hmm. When dance is tired, metaphor and simile creep in. Um, Sebastian Bell, the first one, is the strongest in terms of metaphor. It's always, I'm this. Mm -hmm. I'm this. And you can see that Sebastian Bell, despite his whole issue with this King James Bible, did believe at some point. Mm -hmm. Because everything is a reference to faith. Mm -hmm. Um, Donald Davies and uh, Rashton also, I believe, have at least some form, or at least were raised in a Christian household and and didn't completely break the roots, because they're the only other ones who speak directly about hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, the best and like most marked difference is between Ravencourt and Derby, mm. because Ravencourt is all slow, long sentences, long paragraphs. Everything is kind of moving mm-hmm. through. You're chewing up everything he sees before you move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. which is very Ravencourt. Um, but Derby, the sentences are short, they're sharp, paragraphs are fast, and every like if he's still working with metaphors and things or with uh, right. uh, analogies, but they're all violent. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, there's one that's brought up that uh, Derby would punch the sun if it burned him. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that idea of just like, <clears throat> he still, he has that mind, but it's very direct. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that, that, like, reading between those two the first time was the first time I really noticed the changes in character. Sure. Throughout each one, and that, and that it what came out in the writing, which was really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, and the writing style in general was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, he, he has a lot of interesting metaphor and anthropomorphism things. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to find anything necessarily specific. Uh, End of the first chapter has some pretty great, uh, has a pretty great uh, couple of lines. Well, he's got some just great, great things um, that, 
yeah, the, the compass itself yearning for north. Uh-huh. Uh, that, you know, that's the sort of thing. Hope has deserted me. Um, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Uh, oh, I, I did want to point out something with the, the end there. Um, that not only are we in Greek mythology with Daedalus, but we're in uh, Dante mm. here too, uh, saying hope has deserted me. I'm a man in purgatory. But if you remember your Dante, it wasn't the gates of purgatory that said abandon all hope. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but uh, yeah, no, the, the writing style is, is fun. And to notice that that difference too just speaks to some skill in Stuart Curtin mm-hmm. to be able to... Yeah. Yeah. To vacillate well, and, and change. It, it, it gives you a quick setup of each character and especially their defining, defining traits. Like, Sebastian yep. Bell is a great opener because everything is ominous to Sebastian Bell. Right. Everything oh, is scary. And he's a cow. He, he's, his, one of his defining traits is he's a coward. He's also the perfect narrator for a blind reader coming in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. come in at, and, and you, you're met with a narrator who is pretty much just a blank slate. He is tabula rasa at this point. A man on retreat right. from his own he, life. He, is, yep. what, is what he says later. He, yeah, is, and he is he mm-hmm. is the he is an everyman here. Right. So anyone reading and can fit into this narrator. It's interesting because mm-hmm. that goes into some of the antecedent action too. Yep. Because the uh, the plague doctor pretty specifically spells out for us and for Aiden why the sequence of characters yep. is the way that it is mm-hmm. and. Um, now that you say that, it, it almost feels like Stuart Turton revealing a little uh, more of his hand than he might have intended to. Um, he is the plague yeah, because that. Well, yeah, that's definitely the, the he's he's definitely the author character put into the into the thing. Right, mm-hmm. right. Which circling back to the very beginning of our discussion here uh, is is another thing that did give away very early on, like, okay, we're in a simulation of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, because, the Plague Doctor appearing. Yeah, yeah the, the Plague Doctor, and I think there's one other character, uh, maybe it's the Footman, even? <gasps> Thank you. Um, <laughs> who, uh, a couple times yeah. within those first few chapters, the- Bell gets told mm-hmm. things like, like the plague doctor says, you should just ignore all of this weird stuff and just that, mingle and get to know your the, fellow. Uh, yeah, um, the names yeah, that the, the names that Sebastian Bell gets, yeah, that that are important to him, well, like, are all titles. Just Anna, yeah, 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 yeah. The plague doctor, the footman, all those things. But like <gasps> the way that and okay, <laughs> the way that uh, uh, but the way that those instructions are phrased <laughs> to me, it was like playing a mystery video game from about the year 2002 where you meet someone who's just like oh well I'm not the part of the story that you're supposed to be on yet because you're Mm -hmm. bad at playing this game maybe you should go talk to these three I haven't talked to someone else (laughs) the thing is I've seen that done 10 years past that in 2012 in the way this one does it where it's like there's a bigger story going on, and you just stumbled into it. Right. Figure out that story, and that's the important part. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Oh, uh, thinking of hosts and things, just a kind of fun bluff question. Favorite host and why? Uh, Ravencourt. I hated him initially, but uh, the, the, the way he was kind of commanding everything, commanding the situation and all of the circumstances... Um, he, he quickly was able to grasp onto things and without Ravencourt, the whole conclusion would have come up completely unraveled. He was laying the foundation for mm-hmm. everything else. He was the general uh, yep. who was behind yep. the lines. I yep. wish that I could have an original answer, but Ravencourt, <laughs> um, to me it was, it was, it was actually pretty like into the character stuff just because. Mm-hmm. 
his his disabilities, as it were, yep. um, are and his flaws are so heavily harped upon at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you, as Aiden learns to sort of love him the way that yeah. he mentions coming to love each one of his R- hosts. Ravencourt's the first host that he actively decides he, to flip. Yeah, he has yeah. that. He has that mm-hmm. flip. Yeah, and so I think that dragged me along with it. Also, just just the fact that like mm-hmm. he's this almost like combination of Jack Falstaff and Sherlock Holmes. Mm, <laughs> like he's he's unabashedly, unashamedly like into his luxuries and into all of the things that have made his body the way it is. But mm-hmm. he's also not allowed himself to sink into laziness or self-pity. Yeah, and and mental Ravencourt is the sort of character that I would watch a BBC miniseries about mystery, murder mysteries featuring Ravencourt as the detective solving them from his manor and having, um, uh, what's his name, Cunningham going and and doing the the (laughs) labor. Right, yeah, all of Ravencourt's scenes could just be him sitting in his chair in front of his fire in his manor. And that could be every single scene that that actual character was in, and it would still be an amazing series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, so, and welcome, I'm, BBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there I, you go. I'm going to say, when we got to Ravencourt, he was my favorite. Yeah. Okay. And especially after Derby, <laughs> he was still oh my, my favorite. Yeah. Uh, Dance did not get up there as well, but I, I enjoyed his thing. My Dance favorite was, was Rashton. Rashton is, I, is a close second yeah, I me. liked Rashton quite a bit, because he had a lot of what Ravencourt had, Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, he didn't have as, he didn't have the all-encompassing mm-hmm. thing sure. to him. He was more, he was focused. He's like a bloodhound. Yeah, his thing and was, I have one thing, I'm going to do it. He was also the only host who actively participated with Aiden. Mm-hmm. And he, was... Rashton was as much a character and a proponent yep. of solving the mystery as Aiden was, mm-hmm. as long as he was in and a part of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that that was a partnership, not a not a host mm-hmm. guest. Mm-hmm. He's also um, one of the few characters who's legitimately good. Yeah, he's the only... <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. one of the only decent characters in the entire... Uh, in the entirety of Blackheath. And I like... Now that I'm thinking about that, I like that j- immediately after that is when we have the... Um, the the confrontation between Davies and Coleridge, where he says this was hell of our own making. Yep. Right. Because he saw decent people well, being decent yep. in this world. Absolutely, right. he got that from mm-hmm. Rashton. Yeah, like there, there were decent people doing decent things mm-hmm. throughout this entire thing. And yeah, like Rashton's character, I he was such a, he was, for me, he was such a needed breath of decency right. mm-hmm. in the show of, of uh, or the show in the book where he, <laughs> right, where he was just he was the character who was the one who was doing like he found out about this he it basically to to rash from ration point of view he just got hijacked from a person with an entirely different set of memories right who has this crazy thing going on and his only thing was someone's about to die i can stop it yep. right right mm-hmm. and that was what he caught on on and he immediately went to help Yep. Yeah, that that sort of selfless nature, which mm-hmm. uh, just fed into the overarching theme and how and the resolution too of uh, redemption and mm-hmm. and uh, I mean you've got this they, whole Christ figure sort of thing with yeah. the the narrator almost mm-hmm. um, being the one who saves Anna. Yeah. Um, I wrote a note. Yeah, there's there's somewhere. a great thing where like I I can't remember. Oh, um, when uh, the plague doctor is talking to Gold after a bit when he says um, Anna has been reformed. 
and it wasn't misery and uh, and pain and anger that did it. It was forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that's what Rashton did for Aiden, right? Yep. Essentially, and because uh, Rashton was very angry with him for what he did to Donald Davies because of how you can pinpoint almost exactly what what year Blackheath was happening, the early twenties, right. because both of them fought in the Great War, right? Yep. Together, mm-hmm. and they were both still young men. Yep. I mean, there. That's actually something I I wanted to just mention briefly I don't know if I have a lot of places I want to go with this but just the historical um, research and the, mm-hmm. the uh, embodiment of the period even with all of this weird like mm-hmm. science fiction happening around it is yeah. a- like spot on like it, Aiden it had reads no... like yeah. someone from the 1920s yeah. well, it, wrote it's... this with all of the cultural context that you'd expect them to have mm-hmm. it, it's a great thing that Aiden has no concept of this being an, of feeling anachronistic right because this is his reality that right. he's building out of so it doesn't like seeing the, very seeing, much yeah, in the context. seeing an automobile as a strange contraption right and to, scary and, and scary works perfectly with even with everything else that you find out about yep. him right. because you there's no reason for him to think of it as anything else well and, and it yeah it it works partly because you almost for a while at least wouldn't necessarily be able to pinpoint like is this a period setting is this like a video game setting where mm-hmm. it's like some of the accoutrements from the period. Is it like not all of them? Not, yeah. yeah, is yeah. it or is it like you know? Is this like a murder mystery party where we're doing sort of a lazy period setting? Um, <sighs> but because of like you, if you were someone who was just from the twenties, um, probably seeing the twenties through your own eyes, you wouldn't know you were part of history, right? Because mm-hmm. all those foolish people in history just thought they were living in the present moment. Yep, exactly. Just like we actually are, right? <laughs> talk, talking about that, I like that the plague doctor was anachronistic in the opposite direction, mm-hmm. right? Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think well, does serve kind of the intention too, because mm-hmm. if he if he's presented that way, then you don't necessarily know who you are, why you're here, all of that stuff. It, it seems a little the, more magical. Yeah, and it, it, it also masks the... Uh, um, it makes it another one of those things where it's like, it could be something out of place or anachronistic or fantasy-ish, or it could just be a guy in a costume. Right, which like is it, also it hinted because there are that, a bunch of these costumes in the mm-hmm. attic. Yeah, it preserves yeah. that ambiguity. You know? yeah. And the fact that like a lot of his right. actions, as long as he held the mask, were explicitly stated as theatrical. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he kind of played into that too at times right. with his like smacking his chest and doing different things. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much. Um, we're winding down to the end of this episode. Yeah. Um, we, we'll talk uh, in one more episode about this book uh, in two weeks from now. Any final thoughts before we wrap up right now? I don't have anything. Keep it to a 30 second another, sound bite. Uh, giant mm-hmm. can of worms. Nope. Nothing, nothing major. No, I uh, least favorite was definitely Derby. Uh, but uh, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, there's no contest there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, he's yeah, we're dead. Um, all right. So, uh, in two weeks, we will continue our discussion of the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turpin. So please uh, read along, give us your feedback. You can go to tapestryradio.org. Go to the contact section. Uh, put Scotch Talk in the subject line. That's how we can sort out and know what you're what you're getting at. You can find us on Twitter, at Room with Scotch. Uh, on Facebook, you can find the Tapestry Radio Tap House and request to join. 
we'll let you in as long as you're not a, a robot or a plague doctor um, <laughs> or a footman. <gasps> uh, and also, we'll do your homework. Uh, we don't promise to do it well. Uh, we do con- condone plagiarism, though. We have uh, completely flipped the script on this one. Just because uh, we think be- it's funny. Because it's funny. Yeah. Um, so go to our website, tapsterradio.org slash scotchcast and fill out the form. We will do our best on your homework and we'll make it fun. If you like our podcast, uh, check out our other shows on the Tapster Radio Network, like Intermission, our backstage drama podcast, Here's Johnny, the horror content review podcast, and Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon Tabletop United actual play RPG podcast. You missed one of the words. Um, no, I didn't. You did. No, I didn't. I get it right. You can't get it. And that's the podcast that Nick is the uh, game master for. So I could create this scenario in Pokemon. I just realized it. Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, also, rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We are also on Google Play. I, I'm in the process of trying to get us on iHeartRadio also. Oh. Um, so that'd be cool. I do heart radio. Uh, I know you do. Uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. We don't pay to advertise. So if you rate us, and I think five stars would be five. Five. Yeah. You know, that'll help other people find us Seven and, and enjoy half. it. Seven and a half stars. Nick is Nick is gonna give us, he's promised. Um so yeah. Uh that's that's it. Um Ethan, where can they find you? Uh you can see my read my webcomic, Pin Porter Girl Detective. That's at pinporterdetective.com. It's a noir fairy tale uh detective comic comic featuring a uh, twelve-year-old girl detective and her assistant uh, talking fancy pigeon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and if you liked the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, that might be right up probably, our alley. Yeah, yeah, probably would be a pretty good, uh, pretty good one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me, me on Twitter at m g l i l i e n t h a l, as well as in the Tapestry Radio Tap House on Facebook. Nick, where can I find you? Um, you can find me on. Uh, Twitter at Pokeroll Nick. Sometimes I very occasionally post there. <laughs> um, otherwise, I'm usually I can be in the Poker Rollouts Pokemon Rollouts tap room occasionally. Again, I'm not on purpose, but I'm slightly uh, luddite <laughs> in terms of technology. I just I don't do it very often. So you, you can you, tell because he used the word luddite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, until next time, it's our party, and we'll cry if we want to. Or if you want us. Or if you want us to. Hmm. Yeah. We'll just cry. We're already crying. <laughs> Remember, only one loop is, is used for crying. <laughs> because we saw it here in this loop. Hey. Hey.
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects. Of oblivion. Of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our to yours.